Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Hello, I'm stand-up comedian Kiri Pritchard-McLean, here to tell you that I'm on tour with my brand new show, Home Truths. I'm going all over the country, wherever will have me. I'm touring right through the spring, and then because some of you lovely lot have bought so many tickets, I'm now getting to tour for the whole of autumn as well. If you would like to get tickets, they're all available on my website or you can go to littlewonder.co.uk and get tickets there. I can't wait to see you and I don't want to brag, but I've got one hell of an outfit. To the Who Are You Wearing podcast. I'm your host, Kiri Pritchard McLean, and every week I sit down and have a chat to a very stylish person about their clothes, their clobber, their gear, their attire. <laughs> now, this week's guest is broadcaster fundraiser. I feel like I have to put that in because they have raised literally millions for charity, and drummer supremo. Owain Evans. Now, this episode was recorded in May 2021 and Owain was fresh off BBC Breakfast, still bedecked in suit, and I think I was probably in some trackies, cross-legged on the floor of my um, cupboard that I grandly call a walk-in wardrobe. Now, fashion-wise, I think we have a lot in common. We grew up in rural Wales at the same time, um, although in different places, and there's just lots of shared fashion memories. I don't know if it's exclusive to Wales, though, so do let me know um, if fleeces were big where you're from, Adidas poppers, were they big from where you're from, or was this purely if you lived somewhere with no buses, that that was the fashion, all of which has made a comeback, by the way. I think it's so fascinating to see Owen's journey in fashion, starting off with no real sense of style, not really being bothered about clothes, and then being influenced by his time in a band, right through to the dapper, tailored slice of joy that we see on our televisions today. Oh, also, there's a bit of Welsh in this episode too. I think we both use the word capel, which is Welsh for chapel. Um, you might have worked that out anyway while you're listening. Um, but it's basically when we talk about that, we're talking about sort of Sunday best, you know, the smart stuff you would wear, I guess, to go to, to church. Owain also talks about his mamgi. So um, mamgi is what people outside of North Wales in Wales call their grandmas. We say nine up here. Um, pronounced like the number. There you go, a little bit of a short Welsh lesson for you there. Um, now, Owain is another guest who's grown up on TV style-wise, like Mikita Oliver and Laura Whitmore. But with Owain, I think there's an extra element of his sexuality too. So this makes for a really interesting and open, because Owain is very open, open chat about masculinity and queerness in the workplace. And... Um, 
is something I hadn't really thought about, especially considering this is a conversation happening in showbiz. <laughs> Surely one of the most accepting places. And it's not that Owine makes the assertion that it wasn't accepting, but even that had to be considered, I think, is really fascinating. Oh, and it's such a delight and so funny. I think you're going to love hanging out with him for this episode. So let's just crack on. Please sit back and enjoy me asking Owine Wynne Evans, who are you wearing? You know, I grew up in Ammonford in Southwest Wales. It's a gorgeous place. And I had a very happy childhood and upbringing, you know, the, the most wonderful parents, the most wonderful family. And um, I feel very fortunate, actually, that that was the situation for me, you know. But equally, Kiri, you know, as a gay man growing up in Ammonford, it was it was not a place where there were any reference points. And I never saw a gay person, you know, in Ammonford. And I think that the closest thing you would get to that would be um, characters on TV who were often caricatures or were often the, you know, the butt of a joke because they were gay or camp or effeminate. So uh, that made me struggle with my identity a lot. And also growing up, I was... uh, it was a very polarized kind of approach as far as my identity was concerned, because on one hand, um, I used to ride motorbikes and I was a drummer, you know, and without stereotyping too much, they probably lean more towards more masculine or butch kind of activities. And I also remember like putting, uh, asking my dad to put a curtain rail across my bedroom so I could turn it into a theater. So when my cousins came around, we could put on ridiculous shows, you know? Yes, I love it. (laughs) So, you know, that was quite camp. But as far as the style was concerned, oh my gosh, I remember buying this awful long sleeve t-shirt which was made by a motorbike company and it was i i felt amazing in it it was it was hideous <laughs> it was like covered in these really kind of acrid bright colors and swirls and it had a name across the front of it and it's kind of what you know trials bike riders would wear um and i loved it because I felt like it was a statement piece. <laughs> Nobody else was wearing that sort of stuff in Ammonford, you know. Um, but also it was a bit of a heat deflector because I think it was about the time when I was realising that I, you know, that what what being gay was and that absolutely is what I was. Um, and I felt like in a way that that was like a, a bit of a facade that I could put on almost, um, which in hindsight is something that I hate because I... I try to completely be myself unapologetically so now. But of course, that wasn't always the case. Mm, mm. So did you feel when you put this on that you were sort of, um, you were presenting a version of yourself that you thought was easy for the world to see or easier for you to navigate from the other side? Yeah, 100%. It was definitely a, a heat deflector and it was definitely a kind of, you know, between that thing and my drums, it was something that, you know, people would tease me in school because I was sometimes quite camp, but I would always be like, but, you know, I'm also an, an amazing drummer and look at me in this motorcycle gear, you know, it's so weird. Um, so, yeah, it definitely was, um, I think, uh, an identity that I was trying to kind of grasp onto. And there are probably elements of like my fragile, fragile masculinity kind of baked into that as well, I suppose. But I've got to be honest, Kiri, that 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 long sleeve t-shirt did get the fling after a while. It wasn't something that I like (laughs) wore for years and years and years, but it's definitely something I remember as being significant. Imagine if you just tore open your shirt now and it was underneath. (laughs) Yeah, it's just under here. Yeah, I've actually had this tie made out of it. (laughs) 
<laughs> so when you're a kid, I'm thinking about like primary school time. Did you have a strong mm. sense of style or were you just wearing what everyone else wore? Or did you have a sort of sense of self um, in terms of your clothes when you were younger? I definitely did not have um, a, a sort of strong look when I was in kind of primary school. You know, clothes were more just a, a kind of a, a necessity, really, or rather they, they were just a thing that I knew I had to wear because you have to wear clothes, you know, uh, as opposed to I'm going to wear that for this reason. Um, but I, I do remember kind of seeing, um, you know, watching the box TV channel, which had like all the music videos on it or MTV and seeing people like Britney Spears and her backing dancers wearing these like matching outfits, you know, and I, I remember I bought these trousers from a shop in Llanelli, which were like a weird kind of crushed polyester, kind of were quite shiny. And I, when I put those things on, I felt like a pop star, you know, and I was probably, <laughs> I don't know, like year six or something then. But <laughs> we never had very much money growing up, you know. I come from a completely kind of working class family. So I... I was never one to just get loads of stuff thrown at me. But equally, I never, ever went without. Um, so the clothes were just a thing right up until work meant I had to take what I was wearing more seriously. And, you know, it had to become more of a thing, I suppose. Mm. So who was dressing you back then through your up until you start because you started working professionally quite young. So yeah. so if that's when your sort of style hit, who was dressing you before that? Was it just whatever mam got or would it be something that you fancied or It was like whatever mam got. Um I do also remember going to um like Swansea or Llanelli with my friends Sam and Joe and this was a big event, you know, because we would we'd go to Swansea and we would do a little bit of a shop and we'd walk around, you know, Top Man and River Island and, you know, all of these different shops. And I I would literally then, and I still do it now a bit, to be honest, walk into a shop and, like, look at what the dummies were wearing, you know? I would look at what the, the models, the looks that have been put together, um, would wear. So, yeah, every now and then, I guess the whole, you know, the look was peppered with things that I had chosen and things that I liked wearing, but I never really had a sense of pride in what I wear, what I wore up until, you know, I was probably in my late teens. And again, that was just because now I was in a situation where I had to wear stuff because work meant that I had to look half decent, I suppose. Were you ever made to wear anything by mam or whoever that you absolutely hated? Can you remember putting on anything you're like, <laughs> this is horrible and I'm wearing this because I love you? My school uniform, 100%. Because I, uh, school was not a happy time for me. I didn't enjoy school at all. In hindsight, I look back and I think that there were, there were definitely kind of signs that I was really unhappy in school. You know, I didn't like going to school. And I felt like it, it was a situation where I, I wasn't one of the, the kind of more academic members of my year or class. And I felt that absolutely, in my case anyway, then, you know, it, you were like, well, do what you want then. You know, there was no kind of push and there was no support. Even with my drums, you know, I remember telling a music teacher that I, I wanted drum lessons when I was in like year, maybe year nine. And saying, he said, well, you're the only one in the school who, you know, wants 
to do to the drums. And I kind of remember saying something like, well, I'm sure other people would want it if there was a drum kit there. And I remember my mother having to drag this drum kit into school for like an hour for me to have lessons. And then, you know, I was missing classes and I didn't care. So my school uniform, when I put that on, I definitely felt like I was, it was something that dragged me down. That's so interesting because uh, you're so sort of turned out and polished. I would have thought you're someone who would love the sort of like the structure of the uniform and then have your own flair within it. But the fact yeah. that to you, it seems like it was symbolic of just a place that wasn't allowing it to giving you any support and, and clipping your wings, basically. Oh, yeah, 100 percent. And, you know, I think things have changed now. I, You know, I went to school in the kind of 80s and 90s and. I don't think that I don't think schools were the same sort of places then as they are now. Um, but having said that, yeah, absolutely. I remember putting on the uniform and I never once looked. I don't have any memories anyway of looking at my uniform and myself wearing it and thinking, oh, yeah, you look really smart. You look really nice. You know, this should give you confidence. Whereas now when I, you know, when I throw a nice suit on, um, and my, my suits never cost very much. I always feel really proud wearing them, you know, and I always feel like, yeah, this is something that I really like and I feel really comfortable in this. And it's like a, it, it's an amplifier of my personality. You know, it helps me be me, I suppose, Kiri. Was there an outfit? I know about the, your obviously um, crushed polyester um, <laughs> trousers from Tinelli and I know about your your um, sort of brightly passing statement piece of motorcycle shirt but was there an outfit that you had or an item of clothing that you just put on and you felt a million dollars or was it one of those? Oh let me think when I was yes yeah, so again from this oh, what was the shop called it was something it was something brothers I think it was like a kind of a, a, a rip off Moss Bros kind of place, you know, <laughs> <laughs> which is where I got the crushed polyester from. And I, on the, I clearly, you've just ignited something in my mind because I clearly had a penchant for a crushed material because I also had, do you remember those shirts that were like, they looked like they'd been in the tumble dryer for yeah. like on a hot cycle that they shouldn't have gone in on? <laughs> And it my mum, I got one of those. My mum ironed all the creases out. Oh no, really? Oh, yeah. and that was the look. It was meant to be creased. Yeah. yeah, I remember. This was probably when I was a little bit older, but still, you know, before I was wearing nice clothes for work, I remember wearing one of those um, shirts that I had, and I felt like a million dollars in it because I was like, "This is this is like Ammonford style now." You know, I felt like this is the st I, I'm introducing style to Amford at this stage um, and I remember going to Time and Envy nightclub in Swansea when I was mm, quite young and wearing <laughs> this thing you know that was um, this crushed kind of shirt crushed material shirt and I think that that made me feel a little bit more stylish and actually that was the shirt I wore to my first audition at BBC Wales when I got my job so and, and it was actually a shirt that I would have worn to a nightclub like a million times, you know, and it would have been washed a million times because, you know, obviously I would have been out in it. So maybe that was the shirt, actually, that, you know, led yeah. to all of this. Bring it back, as I say. Bring it back. Where's it gone now? Yeah. I bet if you wore it to nightclub as well, knowing the era that we grew up in, absolutely stinking of cigs. <laughs> like oh. how, no matter how many times you washed it. <laughs> Definitely. And, you know, I think now when I go to a bar or something and I'm wearing a nice outfit, 
if if it was back in the day when smoking was allowed, the whole thing would have to be dry clean, like the jacket, your yeah. coat, absolutely reeking of cigarettes. And you'd also get burnt, weirdly, wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> yes! Like on the dance yeah. floor, I was there <laughs> throwing some moves to Mystique, you know, in Time and Envy, and I would get like a cigarette <laughs> in my arm and then going through my crust shirt. Oh, a terrible moment. <laughs> I remember times of nights out you'd obviously not wear you'd have to have a shower you know because your hair would stink of it and then I remember yeah. times where I'd like get out to go out and I'd put the same bra on from last night and the bra would be like reeking of cigarettes <laughs> it's so horrible your tobacco um, bra <laughs> yeah the tobacco bra which I've just kept for posterity I love it when you were a teenager what were the big trends did you go in for any of them yes I remember um, buying a, and they were quite expensive at the time. I remember asking my mother that I wanted a pair. Um, those Adidas popper trousers, you know? Yes, and yes. I don't know if this was like a, um, a subliminal like throw forward in my mind or something that I kind of knew existed, but I had a pair that were navy, but the kind of branding down the side was almost like a rainbow. Like it was all different colours. They'd normally be like white and blue, I think. But you yeah. could get ones that were like all different colours. And um, I thought that that was like a really good look, you know. But like it was a weird kind of athletic look, you know. And I wasn't an athletic person in any way, shape or form. PE in school was one of the places where I felt the most uncomfortable because I wasn't sporty. Having said that, I did like a popper trouser. So um, I do remember definitely getting involved in that look. And also, I remember asking my parents for a, a birthday or something, a, a Peter Storm fleece jacket from Style Capital of Carmarthen, Millets. And I remember putting it on and just... What what this is this challenging about this Kiri is bringing back all sorts of memories. Honestly, I remember in year seven, like one of the coolest things you could wear for your coat was a fleece. It was yes. a regatta. Hello, what was it with the fleece? Like uh, everybody loved a fleece, and it, it would be, it would make a, an outfit quite smart. You know, I think I'm sure I would wear sometimes my poppers. You know, so you've got the casual leg and then you would wear the Peter Storm green fleece on top just to smarten up the look, you know? Mm-hmm, sure, yeah, yeah. So then you can go, it's like one of those looks, you know, where you can go from office to drinks later. <laughs> oh, 100%. Or I could go from, you know, not taking part in PE in my popper trousers <laughs> to not going camping in my Millet's Peter Storm fleece, you know? <laughs> For me, camping has turned into a completely different thing, darling, but we cover that later. <laughs> Now, did you have, because you, you describe a very gorgeous, happy childhood outside of school in particular. Did you yes. have a rebellious phase then? And did it show up in what you were wearing? I remember when I was in sixth form, um, going to Claire's Accessories in Llanelli with my friend Sam and getting my the top of my ear pierced. Ooh. I know. And you know what I loved about this even more? So the sixth form is was when I was at my happiest in school. You know, I felt like I, I found a group of friends who I really, really got on with and really liked. And we, you know, I still wasn't out at this stage, really, but it was just a really fun, happy time for me. And maybe I got a bit rebellious then. Who knows? But anyway, for me, the 
the sort of me being a rebel looked like this. Going to Claire's with Sam and Joe, getting my ear pierced, and then, because jewellery wasn't allowed in school, they would tell you you'd have to wear a plaster over it. So I got like the biggest ring imaginable. It was like what you shove in the nose of a bull, you know? <laughs> but it was in my ear there. It was really big. And I then had to get a massive plaster to cover it. So it was made more obvious that I was wearing jewellery because I had this gigantic <laughs> band-aid on my ear. Um, so I found that that was quite... Um, quite a rebellious time. And actually then, you know, I was probably starting to experiment a bit more with fashion then because I was in bands in sixth form and, and we were playing in, you know, like rugby clubs and we would be playing in like everything from school discos to people's like 18th year old birthday parties, which got pretty, you know, bonkers in Ammonford Rugby Club. Very fond memories. But I would, I wasn't drinking, you know, I would always be sober, but I would always want to kind of wear something that was looking a little bit more at that stage extra and this went side and side with my ear piercing as well I think <laughs> and especially because you're at the back on the drums like yeah you've got to turn it look babes otherwise no one's gonna see you babes you know what you've got to put on a show when you're a drummer and that's more than just you know doing a fast paradiddle you know <laughs> I, I had my <laughs> I had my Gareth Gates inspired spikes um, Love. I, yeah, I mean, it, it was a look, babes. I had my red Pearl Export drum kit and um, I probably had, you know, my crushed polyester trouser on, aforementioned <laughs> crushed polyester trouser on the leg um, and varying types of, of T-shirts that I'd bought in, you know, I'm trying to think what was the, somewhere like Peacocks probably, you know, I used to like going to Peacocks and buying a statement tee. <laughs> I love it. Did you go for the long sleeve and then a short sleeve over the top? 100%. I I would always do that because I was quite a scrawny teenager and you know I was quite I was quite slim and I I wouldn't really want to show much skin. So I would wear a t the t-shirt on a t-shirt combo was absolutely a look that I would frequent. Um, not too practical in the drums in the drumming sort of world though, Kiri, because they're quite restrictive and they're also quite warm. So maybe that's conditioned me to play the drums in a suit now, which is something I like doing. <laughs> I love that. The long sleeve t-shirt and and, and t-shirt combo uh walked so the suit could run. That's what it was in your style journey. You're absolutely right. That was like the junior years of layers, and now I'm in the kind of more senior. <laughs> tier of that world when I think of you now I think you've got a brilliant in terms of branding I remember talking to an agent about this and they were like you've got a really clear brand because you could draw your silhouette no face and people would know who it was and I think oh. the same with you with a big quiff if you draw if you drew a quiff and a three-piece suit and a great big brooch everyone would know who it was with you it's really clear oh I love I, that thanks hun yeah it is it's a really clear like exercise in branding I guess um but what's interesting is when I've seen you um back in the day when you were working on uh, for BBC Wales when you were younger it's a very different style to what we see now but there is definite style there so you've said that you think that your style journey started as a necessity in a professional way is that fair yeah hundred percent. That's hundred percent fair. Because when I got the job, um, as you said earlier, you know, the pictures that are kind of exist of me when I worked on file at BBC Wales, which is a children's news programme, it was a very disposable look because I, I, you know, for the first time, really, I, 
I had money, you know, and I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I I can spend money on things that I that I want instead of asking mum and dad if they can save up for stuff for me to have for Christmas or my birthday, which, you know, more often than not would be disco lights or a smoke machine because I was quite a weird <laughs> child in that sense. Um, I've still got some of the disco lights they bought me as a child, actually. Um, they're definitely a fire hazard now and I've definitely not pat tested, but that's another story. <laughs> uh, so I don't wear, I don't go near those when I'm wearing my, you know, 100% synthetic fibre dressing gown. <laughs> but yeah, I think that what I would tend to do, Kiri, is I would want to, to kind of get a look together that if I was sat at home watching TV and seeing a really young person on TV, basically wearing something that I at home would think, oh, yeah, that looks nice. I want to wear that, you know. And if I, in hindsight, I, I probably didn't quite achieve that at the time, if I'm honest with you, um, because the looks were something else. But I would often get go for the weirder end of the scale because I remember buying these. Do you remember those combats that had like just strings coming off parachute trousers i think they were parachute trousers i had Mm. three pairs of the parachute trouser which (laughs) actually were very handy for work because they were covered in pockets and because i was quite slim and the technology was different back then i just remember the like the radio mic transmitter and the like talk back receiver they're like boxes that you have to wear were huge, you know. It was like a ba- it was like a box of biscuits, you know. So, and I was like, "Where the hell am I going to put those without ruining my look that I've just expertly put together from Top Man?" Um, but the the parachute trouser was great because I could literally put these boxes in one of the one million pockets that existed on them, and because there were so many strings, the cables were also disguised by all this crap that was going on. So. Um, yeah, that's kind of when I went from it being, okay, yeah, I'll wear clothes because whatever, or I'll, you know, I'll, I'll wear my motorcycle um, long sleeve tee or my t-shirt on a t-shirt when I'm playing the drums to actually, I want to try and look nice now. So yeah, I kind of then started thinking I want to just wear bold clothes. Uh, well, how did that intersect with your sexuality in terms of how you present? Were you thinking, I want young queer kids to look and see there's someone like me or were you not there yet at all and it was still hiding it that's that's a really good question i i really wasn't there yet you know i knew that i was gay and actually i'd come out to some of my closest friends um just before then but then when i got the job at bbc wales i actually had to go back into the closet because I um, I didn't feel like it was an environment in which I could be a gay man, you know, in like 2002 or whenever it was. And I mean, the reality of it was, it absolutely was, you know, it was it would have been fine, I think. But I do remember hearing things around, you know, work at time, which probably made me feel a little bit self-conscious. And I was very lucky to have the most amazing two bosses um, when I got the job, um, Johan Kidd and Rian James, who really I kind of owe all of this to because they're the ones who gave me the, the, the first job, you know, at BBC Wales. And um, I remember kind of um, coming out to them and they were both literally like, they shrugged and they were like, well, you know, <laughs> who cares? And um, I think I was getting more comfortable with them. So I probably was being a little bit more camp. So <laughs> they were kind of like, well, yeah, you know, maybe we thought you, you were, but we didn't care. So I was I was very lucky to have that situation 
having been in an environment like in school, which is incredibly homophobic and, you know, was literally like, I knew this thing existed inside of me, but I had to put a lid on it, you know? But I think, you know, through those years, as far as my fashion went, I was I was still trying to present as something that was maybe a little bit edgy, but also like was a little bit laddie and was a bit masculine because I still had the drums. I still used to like telling people that I, you know, used to ride motorbikes and whatever. Um, and also then I started spending my money on buying ridiculous cars, you know. And don't get me wrong, I wasn't on a lot of money, but I would buy these really over-the-top stupid cars that were like almost like a, a heat deflector or a thing to try and prop up this fragile masculinity I had because it was before the time that I was embracing the fact that, you know what, I'm flamboyant and I'm going to be flamboyant and that is that. Um, so there were all of these things being put up around me, you know, all of these walls that I was putting up myself to present as this kind of maybe a little bit laddie person and that was definitely reflected in in what I wore, I think. Mm. And your hair back then as well was a statement like your hair is now, was like a strong look. Do you think of hair and makeup as, as part of your image? Because your makeup as well is brilliant for someone who's got a skin tone that largely the world is hard to match. Like I've got friends yeah. who, who've got gorgeous fair skin like you and makeup is an absolute nightmare. Oh, yeah, it's so hard. And, you know, if I'm honest with you, and I'm sure you've been in situations like this as well, doing your job, you know, where sometimes you go and you know what looks good on you, yourself, right? And you could do it well. And you, Kiri, I've said this to you before, like you you look amazing, you know, you your hair always looks fab and you've got such a great look and I love it. I live for it. But also I'm sure sometimes if you go somewhere where there are amazing makeup artists there, I sometimes get a little bit nervous that I'm like, oh my gosh, how are they going to make me look? You know, because I feel now mm. like I know that, you know, I have to put a little bit of this on. I have to put a little bit of mascara on. Otherwise it looks like I don't have any eyelids. Um, I have to put <laughs> a little bit of an eyebrow on. Otherwise it, it looks like I, you know, um, an, an alien. Without makeup on TV, <laughs> I look like I've literally just walked out of like Roswell, New Mexico, 1947. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is what I have to do. So this is all just painted on, babes. Um, but I think to go back to what you said about the hair and stuff, Yes, definitely. Back then. And this probably was me not quite knowing that I was finding my feet, but it was absolutely me trying to like be flamboyant and make some sort of a statement while at the same time I was being, you know, confined to having to feel like I was, okay, gay, but, you know, oh, quite a, quite a, um, a, a laddie sort of gay, you know? And I, and I really hate that in hindsight, that I felt like I had to do that because now the thing that I try to tell everyone is just be you, you know? Like, I know who I am now and I know that I need to, to be that person and do it deliberately. Whereas back then, I wasn't. So the hair, I had like a blonde kind of stripe going back across the middle here. The dark, the, the edges were like... Um, dyed like dark brown it was such a weird look but I think it was all part of me trying to find my feet unfortunately on television every single day at the same time I was gonna say <laughs> like the rest of us have like a few Facebook albums do you know what I mean that we like delete I'll delete that one from 2001 yeah. but yours is there like forever <laughs> forever
journey to what we know now with your style. Were there any trends that you just that you tried to pull off that just weren't happening? Yeah, um, I remember seeing McFly, like right at the start of when McFly started being like a pop group. And I remember thinking, oh, actually, that's a look I quite like. So then I was like trying to mimic that sort of aesthetic for a little while and it just didn't work on me. Number one, because I wasn't in McFly. And number two, (laughs) because... I was, I was absolutely not a skater, you know? So, you know, I, I mean, the closest thing to skating I would probably get to is me putting on my inline skates that my mother bought me from Argos when I was like eight and singing the theme of Starlight Express, you know? <laughs> that was a very different look to the kind of McFly style look. And also in my 30s, I think this was the transition into like where I am now, my late 20s and early 30s, I feel like were really good years for me because I was still really trying to find out who I was. I suffered, I still suffer from anxiety now, you know, like my mental health is something that's gone up and down a lot over the years. And I feel like those times were particularly bad as far as a lot of stuff was concerned with that. I remember going into work in BBC Wales and I just started doing the weather stuff, but You know, I probably wasn't wearing suits yet because I was doing it on the radio. And I remember it was the summer and I was wearing this T-shirt that had like multicoloured diamonds all over it. And these shorts that were blue with like a very close white pinstripe on them. And I remember my boss at the time, who was head of news, bumping into me in a stairwell. And he was like, oh, what on earth are you wearing? (laughs) And I can just remember being like, right, okay, I need to fix this. And I remember, I remember telling Aaron and he was like, well, yeah, you know, you looked awful because I did. (laughs) So there were a few like transitional looks that didn't work for me. (laughs) Is there an era that you wish you existed in just for the fashion then? I think the kind of 1920s and 30s in a kind of fashion sense were quite, quite good, you know, um, to look smart, a man would wear a nice suit and would often actually have things like a pocket watch or maybe a tie bar. Um, so I don't know if I'd want to live in those times as a gay man, but I I would love to kind of, you know, see what what was the real strong fashion look then and see how I could like give it a little oh I'm when Evans tweak. What about you? What do you think? Well, um, I I know exactly what you mean about the sort of turned out capel kind of you know 100%. look, mm. and and also I think there's flares of that in what you wear when you know you have your statement brooches. Yeah, they are absolutely they remind me of the gorgeous ones I still have of my nines that she would have popped on something to mm. you know based on the occasion and her mood. The brooch would say an awful lot, which is something the Queen does as well. Is that yes. kind of it tells a story, doesn't it? It does. And you know what's really interesting, right, about this job, when I do the weather anyway, I so I do the weather for BBC Northwest and I've done the weather all over the UK in different kind of capacities. And I've also started doing some cover for BBC Breakfast now. And since every time I've started doing new things, especially with Northwest Tonight, which covers 
um, the northwest of England, you know, Cumbria, all the way down to like the North Midlands. And also we get a lot of viewers in North East Wales actually watching, which is interesting. I get a lot of ladies send me their brooches. I love it. Oh, and you know the way you reacted then? That is how I react every time I open up one of these boxes and I see like, oh my gosh, Kiri, and I had one. This lady said that she doesn't, you know, she doesn't really go out in the same way that she used to and... She sent me this box. It was uh, um, these lovely little brooches. And you could tell they were really old, you know. So I've got upstairs, I've got two boxes, actually. One which are full of the kind of stuff that I've bought, which is mostly, to be honest with you, costume jewellery kind of stuff, you know. None of it's expensive, but it does, even in HD, they look quite good on camera because they, <laughs> they sparkle a bit and give a bit of lens flare. The other one is full of stuff that people have sent me, you know, like the brooches. And I, I can't wear all of it because some of it, it would really work on the outfits I wear and on TV. But those like what what you were saying about the Sunday best sort of jewellery, I do actually wear now. You know, these make up part of my outfit sometimes. Oh, I love it. That's such a beautiful, beautiful story. And it's so nice that those those pieces are, are carrying on and have a, you know, have another have life, another flourish. And on the, you know, a national stage. Like yeah. that lovely brooch that someone would have worn, you know, Mindy Capel uh, on, on a Sunday and now is on the, you know, news and there's hundreds of thousands of people watching. It's gorgeous. Yeah, I love that. That about it as well you know because and, and some of them some of the people don't send like correspondence addresses and so I can't reply to them and there are some I still need to reply to anyway but sometimes I just I wish all of I wish that especially that lady who sent me that box you know I don't know why that resonates so much with me I think it's just because she said that she doesn't have any she doesn't wear these things anymore I kind of wanted to say I love these they look amazing and now I'm going to wear them on TV, you know, so you'll be able to see them. But hopefully she has seen them anyway. Is there anything clothing-wise that's been around a long time that you've held on to? Or is it is it mainly the brooches with the age? I think it's mainly the brooches. Um, if I'm honest with you, I um, that sort of stuff that I used to wear back then, none of it I really still have now. I still have one T-shirt, actually, that is way too small for me. And it's a, it's made by a company called Atticus. And Atticus make, like, skate wear. And um, yeah, I, I used to wear it when I was playing the drums. And it's now turned into a T-shirt that I sometimes wear when I'm, like, painting and decorating. But to be honest, it's, like, it's so small. It's more of a boob tube now, to be honest. It's been through the hot wash so many times. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Travis Barker of Blink-182, who was meant to be the fastest signed drummer in the world, oh. he used to always wear Attica stuff as well. Because oh, they were sort yes. of skatery. 100%. Fast drummer. Very fast <laughs> drummer. And that Travis Barker look was definitely one that I would have 100% bought into back in the day. Have you got an item of clothing now that you put on and you just feel amazing straight away? I feel really lucky at the moment, Kerry, because with the job that I do, right, that I have to basically wear this every day, um, I kind of feel like every day is an opportunity to dress up. But as far as a, a thing that I have had for a long long time goes there are a lot of shirts ties and suits that I bought many years ago that I still wear now but I think I've actually put to bed anything that is older than that because it's just not part of my look now you know it's not part of what I wear <laughs> well that's interesting to me because you you hit this you know experimenting with your style when you're on telly as a young man but like when did the style that we see now when did that appear 
So when I first started doing the weather, I made a decision that I'm going to um, obviously wear suits. And a lot of the time at that stage, anyway, I would buy things from the more expensive kind of high-end suit shops on the high street because I thought that's what I had to do, you know? I was like, I've got to spend 600 quid on a suit to wear on TV because it's got to look nice. But a lot of those suits were hideous and they were boxy and I I never buy suits from expensive places anymore just because I find, like, they don't give me the slim fit look that I want. Everything's boxy. The trouser's too big. And it's not a look that works with me. And I was like, I want to do this, but I want to be recognisable as a weather presenter, the weather presenter who wears a three-piece suit with a tie, a sparkle on the lapel and a pocket square every single time. So... I would say that this look probably has come together in the past six years, five years. And it's, I would say in the past two years, it's like firmed up into always wearing a three-piece suit and always having this look. Some people have even said to me, you know, is this fast fashion? And is this stuff that's not going to last? But Mm. if I'm honest with you, I, I put a suit on for TV and I wear it. And then I take it off and put it back into a suit carrier. Interesting. So what is your relationship with shopping then? Is it, are you an in-person shopper? Is it online? Do you ever do a bit of vintage, a bit of secondhand? Or is it, you found the stuff that works? Because I know what you're saying about fast fashion, but Mm. if you are wearing it, multiple times yeah then you you know it's paying its debt back to the world it's when it's sat in a bag and you never open it or you throw it away or you give it to the charity shop where it doesn't sell That's definitely the problem, isn't it? that is absolutely the problem and you've hit the nail on the head there because that is what i do you know i i buy things and if i don't like them i try to send them back straight away you know and <laughs> like well somebody else can this isn't right for me but it, you know it'll sell somebody else will get it for me you know i always used to buy a lot of stuff from ASOS once I decided that I was going to do this look or I would buy stuff from other companies. There are other companies out there, by the way, this is not an ad. (laughs) Now I would say because of my hours and because of what I do, I do find it's rather convenient to buy stuff online, new stuff online. But as far as the vintage stuff goes, all of my brooches are either from like antiques shops or I get them online as like costume jewellery. Most of it is actually secondhand stuff. So what's the best bargain you've ever got from a antique shop or a vintage shop or a charity shop even? Mm. Oh my gosh. So there is a great place in Halifax, Peace Hall. There's a great little antique shop there um, and they sell all sorts of stuff. And I got about five brooches there and I wear them regularly Um, One of them is just a a round kind of, it's just a circle covered in cut glass and it's very sparkly, looks great on camera. (laughs) And I'm I'm all for colours, you know, Kiri. I love putting a look together. And I would say that place in Halifax in Peace Hall is where I've got a couple of brooches for under a fiver. And oh my gosh, I've worn them so many times on TV. It's great. 
Oh, that's so lovely. Again, they're living on. I I, I just love that for the brooch. I, I feel so, I get such like emotional attachment to, to items and clothes. I'm like, I'm so happy for those brooches. <laughs> <laughs> well, me too, because they're like, you know, they're worn a lot. They're used a lot. And I don't know the backstories of those. Unlike the ones that people have sent to me, you know, where I get a little bit of the story of them. Um, I I don't know a lot of, I don't know any of the history of the stuff that I would buy in like an antiques shop or something. Um, and, I, and I quite like older things anyway, you know, I like things that have some sort of history attached to them. Um, and sometimes it's quite nice to have a bit of mystery around that. Like, you know, that this probably would have been somebody's pride and joy potentially, or it might have been the, you know, nine's Sunday best, granny's Sunday best. Um and I and I really love that there is some some sort of history attached to it that I still don't really know. And I love as well with the with the ladies who send you stuff that chances are they'll be of an older generation because a brooch was it was really loved by a slightly older generation. And I do think there's something really fabulous about them seeing you, an openly gay guy, really being fantastic on television and going, he can do a much better job with these brooches because that's that's also like a. Uh, not just acceptance, but like a real vote of like, we love what you are and can we help be a part of it? That oh, must feel nice. You know what? Yeah, it is. And it's lovely. And I get so many lovely messages of people saying they've not, never really had much contact with gay people before or queer people or LGBT people. And I consciously make sure that I'm not a caricature of myself and that I'm not like some over the top ridiculous just comedic thing, you know? I just try to be me and the welcome that I've had from an audience that many people would probably think would not necessarily be 100% okay with that, perhaps, has been incredible. When I think of your style now, an element of it, as well as being really, I think it's, it's very, like, chic, and fabulous at the same time, which is a really hard balance to work. But it's also really timeless. So do you see your style evolving again? I mean, are we going to go back to the spikes and then fly? <laughs> or are you like, this is me, this is the look? Oh my gosh, I hope I don't go back to those spikes. I mean, if spikes come back into fashion, maybe, but I don't think they will. Um, you know, you're completely right there, Kiri. This is a timeless look, you know. I think that for years people have been wearing three-piece suits with, um, you know, some kind of buttonhole or a pocket square. You know, it's why they're there and a tie. So for me now, I think this is this is it, certainly for the time being. And I, I, there's something, I love wearing a suit in like a really weird situation. Like that sounded a bit, that sounded very dirty, but I didn't mean it like that. What I meant, <laughs> what I meant is... For a, Stood at the orgy with yeah. a bowl of dry roasted nuts just watching things in a great suit. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That's what it is. Oh. And is there an item of clothing, whether it's um, a specific item that you have or it's a, a, it's a genre of clothing that you can always see yourself wearing? Will it, will it always be brooches or is it always a specific, like, this one suit I love and I'll have it forever? I think it's brooches, 100%. Because what I love about a brooch is um, it can, you can get so many different things to put in the, the buttonhole. And actually there, there's some um, kind of argument as to whether or not you should wear a brooch on the same side as your pocket square 
or whether it should be on the opposite side or whether you should wear a brooch where the buttonhole is or whether that is purely there for display. And that in itself is, um, you know, decorative. For me, that's too much headwork. I've just decided, you know what, <laughs> I'm going to shove everything on this side and um, yeah. that's how it is. So with a brooch, to go back to what you were saying then, yeah, it is kind of, you know, it can be a flower. It can be made of material. It can be um, cut glass. So like, a you know, a, a pretend diamond because I can't afford real diamonds. So I always go for the, you know, cut glass option, darling. Um, but it can also be like a little motif or a, a ribbon to represent something that you feel strongly for. So I think that, you know, for me, what sits there on my lapel is important. Got my headphones stuck in it now. But um, <laughs> I also love a hand fan. You know, I love a hand fan. And I've got a good few hand fans. You mean a proper oh, yeah. one of those hand fans? Yeah. Not the one that sort of like, <laughs> not little electric ones. Like a battery operated hand fan. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh, maybe you and I can bring those back. The electric hand fan. <laughs> Yeah. They were everywhere. I remember like my mum packing me one with my like lunch to go to Alton Towers. So like that's for the coach, you know, when it got too hot. <laughs> oh bless her, that is so cute. I love it. And there's something so kind of grandma mamgi about them as well. Like that because yeah. my mamgi had one, um, the electric hand fan that is. And I, I think that they're fab. But I was talking about the sort of thwarp hand fan you know yes and because i'm ginger you know Love i get it. i get hot and i get quite red so i feel like the fan is a way of controlling that and it's also an accessory mm. so um all in all it's it's a good thing to have yeah, I love it. Yeah, I know what you mean about the electric fans, though. There's um, there's a touch of the menopause about them, isn't there? <laughs> <laughs> there's a touch of time of life about them. I completely agree. And also, uh, that's a thing that exists for those well, similar reasons of heat in the drag world as well, because it's you're in under a huge mound of plastic as a wig, you're under yeah. hot lights, you know, you're throwing yourself around. So loads of queens have fans because, you know, you want to keep your makeup from running down your chest to your toes. So it is a necessity. But now it's a great thing. I see lots of drag queens, their merch is a hand fan. Yeah. Um, and there's, you know, fan choreography, which I absolutely love. I, I can see you with an embellished fan. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Yes. Many have complimented my embellished fan before now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I love a fan. I always have a fan in my bag, actually, in my work bag. There's always a hand fan in there, a folding fan. Uh, just in case I overheat. When I did my third show in Edinburgh, the festival, and um, the rooms get so hot because there's lights and there's 50 people crammed into a little room that's not well ventilated. So on my seats before my show, I go, because I was wearing this yellow sequin leotard with a yellow cape, um, I'd put the yellow fans on all the seats so when people got hot, they could, um, they could fan themselves and cool down. Oh my God, that is amazing. What a great idea. Well, yeah, because I just... I don't want them to be not thinking about the show. I want them to be, you know, and if you're too, sometimes you're like, I'm going to pass out. I'm so hot. That's all you oh. can think about. I just want them to be able to take their mind off it. And yeah. I won't get distracted by fans. My husband has just heard us, thank you, Aaron, heard us talking about this. And he's brought in um, one of my favourite fans, which... <gasps> 
Oh, can you please explain to the listeners what I'm looking at? So I um, I host a lot of Pride events and um, I'm a patron of LGBT Foundation. So, you know, kind of flying the, the rainbow flag is something that I'm very familiar with doing and have done over the years, you know. Um, and I bought this um, plastic hand fan, which is covered in multicoloured artificial feathers. And... I remember buying it because it gets hot. As you said there with your show, this Pride event was in the summer. It was hot. It was outside, you know. So um, I thought a hand fan is handy. And also hand fans are handy for me because if I'm in the sun, I can use them to shade my face. Oh, you just pop it up above your head. Yeah. I If I can't get shade and I like to try and stay out of the sun, I will just hold the hand fan over the head. So I bought this um, faux feather one. Um but you know what? It looks great, doesn't it? Um, but mm. it's completely impractical because it, it wobbles. <laughs> can you see the wobble on that? <laughs> yeah, I can see. It's not a rigid fan. <laughs> yeah, it's that's for the aesthetic. It's not for the practicality, is it? <laughs> 100%. And I tried filming with it once for something. Um, and unfortunately, because it's got green in it and I was filming in a green screen, they were like, you can't use that fan. And I was like, but it's so delicious. And they said, yes, but it's got green in it. <laughs> And the wall is, you know, this is a green room that you're stood in filming. So, um, you know, it has its downfalls, but ultimately I think it's a great fan. It's a great one to have in the box. I was going to ask you, what trend are you hoping never comes back? I think there was a a time where um, men's fashion was very baggy, you know, like trousers, the, the sort of the looks that a lot of, you know, they were probably the kind of my reference points in pop music like the pop stars were wearing these really baggy trousers um i really don't like a baggy trouser i think a trouser is good when it's fitted nicely on the leg um and it doesn't have to be tailored to achieve that so like baggy jeans the kind of um skatery jean look even though i did once buy into that aesthetic i think that you know, that, that look has now moved on. So, final question. It might feel a bit morbid, but it is, it's intended to be a celebration. So, what outfit would you be buried in? <gasps> oh, my gosh. That's a, that's a good one. It would have to be one of my suits. I think it would be um, a brightly coloured suit. I love a brightly coloured suit. A pastel shade, I also love. Um, nothing too garish. So, I would say it's going to be one of my brightly coloured suits... Um, a nice white shirt, a nice tie, all of the accessories, tie bar, um, one of my glittery um, lapel things and a pocket square. Probably, maybe this tie, the tie I got married in. I love. Let's go for that. The tie that I got married in, um, a nice brightly coloured suit and all the metal stuff. And I'm not going to be cremated, so I think we can put metal in. Oh, wine, win, Evans there. Can you believe it has taken this long to give the parachute trouser the love and adoration it deserves? <laughs> Not only a fashion staple of anyone who was born around the same uh, time as me, sort of 86 time, but also turns out incredibly practical. Incredibly practical. Those big pockets come in useful if you happen to be uh, to have a need for a microphone in your back pocket. <laughs> Honestly, I think the chat that Owain and I had about the brooches that he's been sent in this episode is just one of the most uplifting and beautiful things I've ever heard. 
I am so glad that the stunning brooches that Owen has sent are just living their best life on his lapel on our TVs. And also I think it's um I think it's such a beautiful thing that he's had a wave of acceptance, as he says, from a group of people that you might not ordinarily expect it from. I think that's um great and very heartening in these dark, increasingly intolerant times. It's a lovely thing to hear. If anyone would like to make me a, a rescue home for sequins, <laughs> I am happy to do it. If you're sat there, uh, like the old lady sending her his brooches, maybe you're like, you know what, this girl, she deserves a better day. If it looks like a size 16 bum could squeeze into it, send her my way. <laughs> do you know what? I was aware listening back to this episode that Owain's physique has informed a lot of his decisions when it comes to clothes. Um, clothes to make himself look bigger as a teenager, slim cut suits as an adult and how difficult that was to find. And I think I think that censoring of your body and clothing is something I've made very gendered in my head, which is obviously the height of laziness for me. But I think it's really interesting to hear from a man who's put as much thought into their body and and how it will talk to the world through fashion as my female and trans pals do so I, I you know I know that we give it a lot of thought but it's also interesting that a cis guy would as well um now I always love it when you guys get in contact um you can follow us at who you wearing pod on insta you can pop us a message on there if you've got something longer to say email us who you wearing pod at gmail.com absolutely love to get your emails really buzz off them. Um, we had a message from EJ on Insta who said, hi, Kiri. Um, oh, I love this one because I think it, yeah, it ends with an errand with a request. So I need you guys for this one. Hi, Kiri. Loving the podcast and the amazing guests you have on it. I've never realized how important clothing were to me until listening to your podcast. And I plan, I plan outfits out weeks in advance for special events. Babes, help me out. I've got a wedding coming up. I was wondering if you and your team, I love that. It's just me and a producer. <laughs> if you and your team knew of any sustainable maternity clothing companies just traveling home from my 12-week scan and starting to show. Oh, interesting. This is such a good one because by their nature, maternity clothes aren't that... Um, well, you, you only wear them for a bit, right? Um, unless you're <laughs> someone who's like perpetually... Pre- I was going to say Sarah Beanie <laughs> because I was thinking Sarah Beanie being perpetually pregnant. Um yeah, interesting. Guys, get in contact. I imagine secondhand is the way to go, right? Just hammering eBay. But there must be people out there who've been pregnant who will know where to get some sustainable maternity stuff. I imagine the word affordable is going to fly out of the window there, but I'll throw it in as well. And thanks for that, EJ. Get in contact. Now, I've had a nice big think about this week's indie business and I've gone for a Welsh jewellery brand. That's a pretty good start, isn't it? Welsh tick jewellery tick. So please meet Crane Jewellery. Now, a brand that I only discovered through Instagram because Instagram, for no reason, with no recourse to appeal, had disabled their account. This is so tough for indie businesses because platforms like Insta really are make or break for them. And I see so many small businesses breaking their hearts over the algorithm. And do you know what? As a small business myself, I totally get this. You'll post and post and post. And then all of a sudden you've got something that you need to sell, you know, like a show or something like that. And it all disappears. Like, you know, and you're like, you can't, you can't get anyone to see that you've got this thing that needs advertising. And it's it's just so tough, especially if that's how you built your platform. 
So that's what happened to Jodie Davis. The creative crane lost over two and a half thousand followers in November 2021. But thanks to people spreading the word online, um, has now over three and a half, which is amazing. And hopefully by chatting about her on this podcast, she'll get a few more. Now, Jodie's jewellery is so beautiful. It's a that perfect mix of looking really classic and timeless with its sort of mid-century and art deco lines. And it's, that influence is across everything, but also really not even modern, futuristic, I think. Uh, I also think Jodie is really great at having something for everyone. There's really simple, elegant, classy pieces that I think like I've got, there's like two people in my head. I'm like, I'm going to go there for Christmas presents. I think they would absolutely love that. But there's also huge statement showstoppers for folk like me <laughs> like to show off on their earlobes, etc. Uh, I genuinely am forever sad. I missed out on her galactic snake earrings because they're amazing, big, gorgeous brass snakes with pearls are coming out of them, their mouths. And I'm on them every day. There we go. I've said it. Her pieces are handmade, so made to last. And she uses as many sustainable and ethical materials as possible, such as eco silver and recycled brass sheet. Now, with the jewellery that has stones in, Jodie works for the supplier who vouches for the origin and supply chain of the stones. So this is really unusual, especially in semi-precious stones. The focus on the ethical nature of diamonds has been great, but I think it's led people to assume that the rest of their stones haven't caused suffering, but it's not always the case. Now, Jodie also salvages vintage jewellery and reworks it into her design. So if you want something well-made, beautiful, shiny, that is ethical, that no one has suffered for to get there, then please go and check out cranejewellery.co.uk or on Instagram. Honestly, I think there's a really, I feel like it's real something for everyone vibes there. Um, Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we're heading towards the end of series two. It has flown by. Um, I tell you what, I'll do an Instagram live soon from a cupboard and we can chat about clothes. I absolutely love it when you ask me uh, questions about my clothes or where I got stuff from. And next week I am back um, with the author, Deshaun Harrison. Uh, that was an amazing gorgeous chat and I am obsessed they're one of the Instagrams that I pervert the absolute most um so I hope you'll join me then um thank you so much for listening see you soon guys Wearing is produced by Joe Southard, the artwork is by Mary Phillips, and the music is by Annie Glass. This has been a Little Wonder production. Mm-hmm.